Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you would be, open your Bibles to John, the fifth chapter, as we continue to be immersed into Christ, as we study the gospel of John this month. And if you uh, take your Bible, and we'll have several of the, the scriptures on slides also, but we'll be spending much of our time after a few passages of introduction in John, the fifth chapter, in the open Bible, and we can study along together. What a an end of a week and a weekend that we have had. God has been so good to us, as He always is, uh, but sometimes it's just so easy to see those blessings. And uh, we're thankful that uh, Autumn Hopkins was baptized into Christ Thursday afternoon, and we're thankful that our young people uh, went on a relief work in the aftermath of the tornadoes in North Alabama, and there ended up being about 40 Four forty-five uh, that spent all day Saturday working there, and and much of that crew just got back around five o'clock this afternoon, and it was an amazing, amazing trip uh, to see uh, the young people and their diligent work, their attitude, uh, their their compassion toward those that are hurting. Uh, we truly are blessed to have uh, young people that, that have a heart and a spiritual life that is so healthy. And uh, we are so thankful uh, for the good that they have done uh, to see the tears in the eyes of the individuals that they helped and that they served and to hear uh, their words of appreciation and praise uh, were just uh, some of the smaller reasons that we were reminded of how good it was to be a part of that. At the same time, right here in our own county, uh, 20 of you, uh, worked in a Habitat home, and we are thankful for the work that you did to be able to help provide a place to live for one of our neighbors. And we are so thankful uh, for each one that uh, took part in that and had a place in that work also. And then also, as a part of our men's ministry, uh, a good gathering of men gathered here Saturday morning and heard an inspiring lesson by Bill McDonald. And it's good to be together. It's good to worship together. It's good to study God's word together. What a blessing it is that God gives us these opportunities over and over and over. The challenge for all of us is to find our place. Uh, I'd encourage you, if, if you're a part of a Bible class or, or a group that's looking for something to do, North Alabama is a prime spot right now to go spend a Saturday. And uh, you will be thankful that you did. The power of a witness. John told us very clearly toward the end of the gospel in John the 20th chapter as we studied last week of why he wrote the gospel of John. Written much later than the other three gospels, he wrote this gospel as a proof text. He wrote it and he recorded the signs that it recorded because he said that believing that you may have life. And that's the key. Those are words that you'll see over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. You'll see the words about belief and you'll see the words about life. You can't have life eternal if you don't have a belief in Jesus Christ. And so what's interesting, and, and perhaps one Sunday night we'll take some time to break this down a little bit more uh, so perhaps you can appreciate uh, this particular outline of, of the book of John. But what's interesting is to think about the truthful claims that are made in the first four chapters where Jesus speaks about who He is. But then, 
we see the false charges or the false accusations that the scribes and the Pharisees especially made against Jesus throughout his ministry. And note this, those begin heavily in John the 5th chapter and they go up to the 12th chapter in verse 36. And notice we're going to begin studying tonight in the 5th chapter. And then we see the intimate fellowship toward the end of the 12th chapter in the life of Jesus as he spends so much time with his closest disciples and especially the 12 apostles in the last half of the book of Acts. Even though that's a very short time period, it is a time that covers, uh, or the volume of the record uh, records almost half of the book of John. And, And then toward the very end, the last few chapters gives us the redemptive work of Jesus in the sense of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we can take those four major divides. And so the first four chapters, Jesus tells us who he is. The next several chapters, from the fifth chapter to the twelfth chapter, people challenge that. And so he's continually having to defend who he is. Now, does that make sense why John would put this in the gospel? Because that was the whole purpose of writing the book of John was to defend who Jesus is so people could believe and have life eternal. And so what I wanted to do tonight is just study that fifth chapter where Jesus defends himself. And and that kind of gives us, if you will, a view of the next several chapters. We're going to see this exercise time and time again. And again, I want to challenge you, be reading the Gospel of John. All of us could easily read the Gospel of John this month. And so as we're studying it together as a church family, let's go back individually and let's read at least a chapter a day. and, And let's make sure that we're living in the Gospel, looking for Jesus. Do we believe in Him? Do we realize that it's only in Him that we can have eternal life? Now in this tonight, in the study of John 5, it's going to be important for us to recognize the importance of a witness. We appreciate the importance of witnesses today, even in our judicial system. How oftentimes are witnesses called? That's a common thing. When someone is an eyewitness to the event, that has a powerful impact upon that trial. And especially if there are two or three witnesses that are not interrelated to each other and they each can testify of what they have seen or what they have known, that becomes even more powerful. Now, because today we have other means that also bring some very uh, positive and powerful evidence, we might sometimes just kind of forget how important a witness is. You see, today, if someone wasn't there uh, eye-to-eye, face-to-face with the situation we would naturally say, well, were there any cameras? Was there a recording that we could go back to? They couldn't do that in Jesus' day. In the first, uh, in the Old Testament times when, when these principles were put into place. Or today, we might say, is there anything where we could uh, lift some DNA? Or we might even say, were there any fingerprints left behind? Not to take away, even from today, how important eyewitnesses are. Do you realize, when you think back to the biblical times, how important eyewitnesses were? And so as we consider that, I just want to, by introduction, remind you of some passages that bring that importance. And then let's go to the words of Jesus, where Jesus is saying to the people, I can prove to you who I am. If you will just listen to the witnesses that have been speaking. So 
by way of beginning, look at John the 5th chapter and verse 31. John 5 and 31. If you read this verse by itself and didn't understand the context, you might kind of scratch your head and say, I don't understand what Jesus was saying here. Because Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Is Jesus saying I'm a liar? Is Jesus saying I'm not trustworthy? In other words, if I'm the only one talking about something, maybe it couldn't be believed. No, Jesus is going back to the authority that has already been spoken where you could not establish something based upon the individual themselves or even upon one witness. That there had to be more than one witness for something to be credible. So back up to Matthew the 18th chapter. A quick reminder of this. In Matthew the 18th chapter... This passage here that teaches us how to deal with conflict. Do you remember in verse 15, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that... Now notice this, this is in quotes probably in your Bible. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established... Now, you'll notice in your Bible that quotes is coming out of Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, and verse 6 and 7. You see, if we were reading Deuteronomy 17 and verse 6, it's that same thing, that there has to be two or more witnesses for it to uphold and stand as truth. Now, even taking that a step further, it's interesting that in verse 7, He says, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Sometimes individuals have referred to the Old Testament judicial system almost as if it was the Wild West. And it's, it's an eye for an eye. And if somebody uh, puts your eye out, you just immediately retaliate. And, and if someone takes a life of your loved one, you just immediately retaliate. Listen, it wasn't at all. That, that it was a Wild West situation. It was simply the situation that if the individual was found guilty, you knew what the sentence was going to be. In other words, if a life had been taken, there had to be two or more witnesses that viewed that that life was taken and they could stand as witnesses. And then when it came time to take that life in an execution style, those two witnesses had to be the first ones to be willing to begin killing that individual. Carried with it a pretty heavy responsibility to be a witness, didn't it? Now, when we think about how important would it be to a judicial system that witnesses be found faithful? Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Exodus, the 20th chapter. You remember the ninth of the Ten Commandments? It's found in verse 16. He says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, <clears throat> for good reason. Oftentimes in a Bible class setting, someone will, will, will make a comment and say, I don't really understand, like, what does that mean as it relates to day-to-day living? Bear false witness. That is, you just don't go out and tell lies against people. Well, obviously, telling lies against people is something we wouldn't want to do. But this is stated in this context of you have to have two or more witnesses. And so if, if as an individual, you were willing to lie about someone in in a judicial type setting and you could find a friend that was willing to lie about someone, you could convict them of something they never did simply because you had two or more witnesses. Think how that would impact a judicial system. And so here, one of the Ten Commandments is to make a strong judicial system as well as a spiritual system. Let's be honest people. And when it comes time to executing righteousness or wickedness, 
Let's make sure that we carry it out in an honest way. Later on, the prophets would speak against the children of Israel because many of the wealthy individuals would begin buying false witnesses so that they could take advantage of the poor. It goes back to that ninth commandment. It goes back to the importance and the power that a witness had. Now when we go to John the fifth chapter, turn back now to John the fifth chapter and let's look at verse 31 again. And notice what Jesus is saying about himself. If I bear witness of myself... My witness is not true. Now, obviously, we know from the verses that led up to this, Jesus is bearing witness of himself. He's already clearly stated that just as the Father could give life, he says, I can give life. He has counted himself one with the Father. And so now he is assuming that they understand, they're listening to him, he said that, but now he's also saying, I understand based on the one witness, myself, that we have to go beyond that. So in the very next verse, he's going to talk about God and that God sent witness, if you will, or knowledge to John the Baptist. And so that brings us now to the 33rd verse, John 5 and 33. And let's, let's look at the witnesses that Jesus says, if you listen to these, they're going to testify that I am who I say I am. 33, you have sent to John... And he has borne witness to the truth. Real plainly stated, isn't it? God sent John to tell you people that I am the Messiah. And John has done it. He has borne witness to the truth. Now, to make another point, it's not that Jesus is speaking out of both sides of his mouth, but he's reminding them that his existence, his power isn't based upon whether or not a man says something. Even if the man is the greatest prophet that's ever lived, such as John. Look at the very next verse, verse 34. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and the shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in this light. Do you see what he's saying there? And at the very end, we'll we'll come back and close out this lesson, not with this verse, but this very same principle. You see, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, John testified who I am, but don't think I'm who I am because John said it. In other words, the underlying message is, I'm who I said I am, whether John says it or not. I'm just saying that because you heard John say it, and John said the truth, and you might believe it if John said it. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe what God and Jesus have said about Jesus? Or do you believe what everybody else has said about Jesus? And do you believe it more if somebody else says it? Right now, what is it that some person could convince you of more than what God could convince you of? That is a principle that all of us need to really mull over this week. We need to meditate upon that. We need to chew on that. And we need to really ask ourselves... Who is it really that carries the authority in my life? What person on this earth would I listen to before I would go to the word of God? Jesus says, you want witnesses? I'll give you witnesses. Listen to the teaching of John the Baptist. Now back in in John the first chapter, if you want to back up just a minute, 
notice there in 29, Jesus said, as he looked at, I'm sorry, John said, as he looked at Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And look at verse 32. This is John 1 and 32. This is still John speaking about Jesus. And John bore witness saying, and he describes the baptism of Jesus. And look how he closes that in 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's why Jesus could say, you want a witness of another individual that will testify and say, I'm the Son of God? John the Baptist has been saying that. You've heard him. That's one witness. But we need two or more witnesses. So let's continue and see if there's going to be more witnesses. John, the fifth chapter, let's read verse 36. John 5 and 36, Jesus continues. But I have a greater witness. So now he's going to mention one that he says is more powerful than John. A greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You know, our works reveal who we are. You want to know someone is a Christian? If in their day, they fulfilled the first and second greatest commandment in their life, to love God with all their being, to love their neighbor as themselves. If their works in their life was continually producing the fruit of the Spirit, if all of the virtues there in the beginning of Second Peter, the first chapter, were continually lived out in that person's life, you know what you and I would know? We would know by their works. They're a Christian. An individual's fruit bears proof to the type of person that they are. You know, some of you Many of you would know that I grew up uh, on a farm. And, and you know that uh, now I don't have the opportunity to do much farming, right? And yesterday when we went to Alabama to do some relief work, that was a, a very enjoyable environment for me because I kind of felt like I was back in a real comfortable environment. You know, the first house we walked up to, the, the guy motions to a chainsaw, and I'm like, hey, I know a little bit about a chainsaw. That's, that's good. And, and so um, I'm taking a mid-sized chainsaw and cutting a real, real big log, and, and so uh, a lot of you would know what I'm talking about. There's a few little tricks that you do to be able to get all the way around, and especially when you can't go to both sides of a log because there's another tree coming there. But anyway, and, and so, so uh, when, when I got through with, with cutting that large log, the, the homeowner, um, he was standing there, and, and I shut the saw off, and he said, you've run one of them before, haven't you? And, uh, you know, your works... Think about it. Money doesn't prove anything. Anybody can get money given to them. Looks don't prove anything. Works always prove something. You can't fake your way through experience. You either are something and your works prove it, or you're not something 
And you're faking it and your works will prove it. Now, we're about to get off subject here, so I'm going to rein myself in right after one or two statements here. That is what amazes me about America's love of celebrities. It's, it's just so weird that Americans fall in love with people with money and looks when there's nothing to it. Now, you can do good things with money, but that's not who a person is. A person is what they can do with what God has given them. In other words, what have you done this past week? Your life either proves by your works that you're a child of God, or your life proves that you haven't. But, but you, can't, you can't give your way into disclaiming that? You can't pull off some kind of pretense into disclaiming that? Who we are every day, the works that we just, the way we treat that, that person at work that's very hard to get along with proves who we are. The way we, the way we treat someone who, who is a stranger that the rest of the world has turned their back on them proves who we are. The way we treat someone in times of conflict, the, are we a child of God or are we not a child of God? You say, how would you know that? By our fruit. And so now here's Jesus saying, I'm having a hard time proving to you guys who I am. I've sent you, Jesus would say the greatest prophet who ever lived was John the Baptist. And Jesus says, I sent you John the Baptist and he told you clearly I'm the son of God and you won't listen to me. He says, I can give you a greater witness than John the Baptist. And Jesus does something a lot better than running a chainsaw. He can resurrect people from the dead. He can tell the blind to see. He can tell the lame to get up and walk. And as Nicodemus would say in John the third chapter and verse two, no man can do these things except he be of God. In other words, Jesus says, if you look at my works, there is nothing you can say about them except he's of God. Has to be. There is nothing else that can be said. When he taught, I mean, we get so wrapped up in the miraculous things, it, it makes sense that we would. But think about it. Even when he taught, he couldn't finish preaching without people saying, we've never heard a man speak with such authority. Why? Because he was of God. His words were the works of God. So he says, you need two or more witnesses? John was a witness. My works are a witness. But then he also says, you can listen to my father. Look at verse 37. And the father himself who sent me has testified, see, has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Strong words there. As he says, I can give you a third witness. My heavenly father would tell you that I am of him. But the problem is... You're deaf and you're blind. He's been saying it. Read the Old Covenant. He's been saying it and I have fulfilled every prophecy that he has ever said about the Messiah and you won't hear him. And look at the form. He is standing in front of you right now, flesh and blood, incarnation, and you refuse to open your eyes and see him. Oh, the Father's testified. 
You've just closed your ears and you've closed your eyes. But then he even gives another look, if you will, of the scriptures in John 5, 38 and 39. But you do not have his word. Notice that his word abiding in you because whom he sent him, you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Why is the Gospel of John written? That they could live? You search the scriptures, that you think you'd have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. See what Jesus is saying? You go into the old scriptures, and you say, I'm looking for life. I know that God's the giver of eternal life. I want to find God. And he says, you know what the old scriptures are telling you? If you read them, they're telling you about me. I'm the son of God. But yet, you go in and you miss me. So the previous verse, what did he say? You don't have the word of God abiding in you. Do you realize it's possible for me to be a daily Bible reader and never fulfill the purpose that the Bible was given? Listen, if I am not searching for my God as I study the scriptures... I'm missing one of the most important reasons to study the scriptures. They had gotten so wrapped up in their self-righteousness that the only way they knew how to use the scriptures was to twist them to make themselves look good. To defend themselves against everybody that would rise against them. And Jesus said, isn't it interesting? You've never stopped studying the scriptures, but you've never found me. What do they do? They testify me. You need witnesses? John, my works, my Father in heaven, even the scriptures. How many you need? Just two. I'm going to give you four, he says. But he says, I'm not done yet. And now let's look at verse Sixty uh, forty-five. You know, I got to get glasses one of these days. Be thinking about it real soon. Uh, uh, I won't be embarrassed if you won't. Okay. All right. And and um, John the the sixth chapter, verse forty-six. Notice as he says here, "Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust." Now here it is, forty-six. For if you believed Moses. You would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, one thing they would have loved, or a few things they would have loved, they would have loved thinking that they loved God. If you could have said to those Pharisees, do you love God? Oh, we love God. Do you love Father Abraham. Oh, we love Father Abraham. Do you love Moses? Oh, Moses, the lawgiver. We love Moses. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He has saved this for his last argument because they loved the law. And Moses was the lawgiver. And so he says, okay, you know what? I'm challenging you. You don't really believe Moses. And they would have said, what do you mean? We're the experts in the law. How can you say we don't believe Moses? He says, if you believe Moses, you'd believe me because Moses wrote about me and you don't believe in me, so therefore you don't believe Moses. Genesis 3 and 15, Moses wrote about Jesus. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, where he's given the covenant to Abraham, Moses is recording that. Moses wrote about Jesus. 
In Deuteronomy, when, when he spoke of there being a prophet like Moses, Moses was writing about Jesus. And so he could honestly say to them, if you really believed Moses, you would really believe in me. You see, it comes down to this. You see there in verses 40 through 44 that we skipped over? This is, this is the invitation. And when I say invitation, I don't mean just this moment. It is for this moment. But this, this is, if you will, our, our, our decision that we have to make tomorrow and the next day and the next day. This is, this is our daily life as a Christian. It's decision time. And so in John the fifth chapter, look at 40 through 44 here. He said to them, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. See, that's what this gospel is all about. This is what Jesus is all about. Why would they not do it? He says, I do not receive honor from men. You see, that's going back to what he previously had said about John the Baptist. In other words, it's, it's not because a man said it that made God who he is. Do you realize if every one of your friends right now turned against God, it doesn't change God. So then the question is, if every one of your friends turned against God, would it change you? Who is controlling your life? I wish we had time to develop that for a while. We don't, but will you please take that with you and let's all dwell upon that, meditate upon that this week. Who is in control of your life? Who is it that when you're around those people, you act a way you shouldn't act? That's who is in control of your life. And and Jesus is saying, listen, my life is not about honoring men. In other words, because people say that I'm the Son of God, I must be the Son of God. Now, if they don't say I'm the Son of God, I must not be the Son of God. Who's the authority in your life? Do you believe that God is authority of your life? And no matter who comes around you, no matter what is done, you're going to stay with God. And so now we continue reading here in 42. He says, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. That's, that's a powerful indictment. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, he says, him you will receive. Can you imagine how frustrated Jesus is at this point? He says, how can you believe who receives honor from one another and do not seek the honor who comes from the only God? He says, you're feeding yourselves. He says, you're going around and you're encouraging each other to live this life that is, is simply wrong. It, it is, it is in absence of Jesus, the Messiah. And he says, you're encouraging each other. And then I come in the name of the Father and you won't receive me. But men come in the name of themselves and you receive them. What powerful person in this world could come to you and say something and it impact your life more than God? What celebrity could come into your, your, your life right now and impact you more than God? What group of people could, could do something right now that would impact you more than God? And I'm not saying this like, oh, I've got it figured out. I'm telling you the challenge for all of us. Can all of us say, it does not matter who comes into my life they will never have a greater impact on me than God. That is the authority of Jesus. He wasn't God on earth because man said it or didn't say it. He was God on earth, period. And so now, it's decision time for us just as it was for them.
Do you believe it? There's been plenty of witnesses that are credible that have said it. And now we have to decide, not only are we going to believe it, but are we going to live it? That believing you shall live. Tonight, if you're not alive spiritually, you've missed it all. There is nothing eternally worthwhile outside of Christ. Believing and living ultimately is all that matters. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ because you believe and you're ready to give your life to Him, or if you've done that and you strayed and you want to repent and come back because you believe in Him, there's not any of us here perfect, but we can all leave here forgiven, believing and living. If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.